Hi folks, this is our very first episode of Women, Work and Wisdom. My name is Diane Lai, and I was inspired by so many amazing women that I'd recently met on a director's course, and I wanted to have a platform to tell their stories. I view them as community elders, and their wisdom was incredibly inspiring. So welcome to our very first episode. Here we go. Hi folks, thank you for joining me for my very first episode of Women, Work, and Wisdom. Today's guest is Ann Douglas, writer, columnist, mother, and parenting guru, and discusses how she always wanted to write. She just didn't know what she wanted to write about until she had kids. The challenges in a trademark battle, how she lives with bipolar disorder, her latest book, Parenting Through the Storm, and how we should all think like a marathon, not a sprint. For those of you aspiring writers, her advice is just to carve out 30 minutes in your day, put your bum in a seat, and just start writing. So without further ado, Anne Douglas. My name is Anne Douglas, and I am a parenting author, a parenting speaker, and CBC Radio's weekend parenting columnist. I'm also a mom of four, and I guess a miscellaneous entrepreneur over the years. (laughs) Okay, great, Anne. Can you give us a brief timeline of your career and what you're currently doing? Sure. I've been a full-time writer, and by that I mean somebody who's been writing for magazines, and then when the web came online, the web, for about the past 25 years. I wrote my first book about 20 years ago, and I've got about, I think, around 24 individual titles in print. Some of the books are, have been in multiple editions in different markets, and I've had to rewrite them a, n- a number of different times. I mean, my pregnancy book, I think I've now written five or six times. I'm losing track. But the majority of my books, the majority of my 24 books, focus on some aspect of pregnancy or parenting. My best-known series is the Mother of All Book series with the lead title, The Mother of All Pregnancy Books, being um, my best-selling book to date. My most recent book is called Parenting Through the Storm, and it's a guide to handling the highs and the lows and everything in between when you have a child who's struggling with a mental health, neurodevelopmental, or behavioral challenge. These days, I'm busy researching and writing a brand new book about parenting, which is going to be published in 2019. And um, when I'm not working on the book, which isn't a lot of the time, frankly, I'm spending most of my time working on the book right now, um, I am doing some speaking. I am CBC Radio's weekend parenting columnist, which means I go in about once a month to the Toronto studios and, and tape parenting interviews across the country and doing a fair bit of work as a mental health advocate and volunteer. So that's sort of my life in a nutshell these days. Wow, you're super busy. (laughs) I just want to kind of work back to the writing part of your life right now. And can you just give me a little, a brief kind of outline of your day? Like, do you have a formal time every day that you write? Do you have a formal place that you write? Like, how do you structure that? Right. My favorite place to to write is up at the cottage because there are very few distractions there. I can just sort of, you know, leave my research material strewn everywhere and I can just, you know, sort of organize my day around the writing piece. I don't necessarily write every single day. Um, I spend a lot of time researching and interviewing people and, and that kind of thing, but I feel like every single day something moves forward in terms of progress on the book project that I'm working on right now, whether it's 
talking to people or, or you know, reading journal articles or, or whatever, I am always sort of inching the process forward. And that's the best way for me to deal with the anxiety and terror that is such a, a part of the book writing process. I mean, if I don't make steady progress, then I start to wake up at 3 a.m. and say to myself, only X more days until the, the book is due and I'm doomed and horrible voices of doom sort of pop up. So I much better work on a steady basis. In terms of what I try to accomplish in a day, I, um, I try to make sure I get like about an hour to an hour and a half of walking in because that is amazing for staying healthy, keeping my mental focus, uh, you know, bringing my anxiety levels down to a manageable level, all those good things. I also, because I've been dealing with a balance and dizziness disorder in the last year, I have about half an hour of um, eye and balance exercises I also work into the mix. And uh, I also try to have time just to relax, read, unwind. So in the olden days, when I was in the ramping up my career phase, I worked long, long hours. Now I tend to sort of, you know, find that by the time I've worked for maybe you know four or six hours straight I'm starting to lose steam and I'm better switching gears and doing something else and I've had people say to me and point out that you know as a self-employed person who's probably you know pretty much at the peak of her abilities or what they're ever going to be that I probably can accomplish a heck of a lot in four to six hours because I don't have to do any commuting time around that. I don't have a lot of meetings unless I, I organize the meeting myself. So I think I can be super productive. And I sometimes have to remind myself that stretching it out over eight hours or 10 hours isn't necessarily the smartest thing to do. I'm better just being super productive, diving in and diving out and getting on with the rest of my life. Excellent. Okay. When you were young, what was your dream career that you imagined? Um, I only ever really wanted to do two things. One was to write books and the other was to have kids. And I realized having kids isn't a career, but for some magical reason, it ended up being wound up into my career because it was only after I had kids that I actually found that I wanted to write about parenting. Until I became a parent, I honestly didn't know what I was going to write about. I just knew I really wanted to write. So I guess in a long-winded way of saying, that's a long-winded way of saying that, you know, um, I'm really, I feel really blessed that what matters to me personally is also integral to what I do as my day job, day in and day out. Okay, excellent. So I'm sure four kids really helped with that. <laughs> <laughs> My kids were put on this earth to give me tons of inspiration and, you know, often sort of head-smacking kind of confrontations of, you know, was this really what I signed up for? Is this what really parenting is all about? So that I would learn and grow and continue to learn and grow, even though they're all in their 20s now, I am by no means done my parenting development. <laughs> yeah, it's a journey. Um, were there milestones or seminal moments in your career that gave you pause, shock, or a desire for change or reflection? Absolutely. I mean, I think that we have this mythical idea that we're going to dive into our careers and everything will go swimmingly and, you know, all you have to do is work hard and, and everything will work out at the end of the day. Well, sometimes there are forces beyond your control. And so I'm just going to give you a couple of examples of things that I've had to work through. Uh, one was a trademark battle with my former book publisher. I'm not going to get into too many details because I don't have a lawyer on call 24-7. So let's just speak in vague generalities and say that 
during a contract negotiation, they felt very strongly that they wanted to acquire the trademark to my the Mother of All book series, and I felt very strongly that I wanted to maintain control of the trademark because it had been my creation, and I knew that if the publisher had control, there would be nothing to stop them from licensing other people to write books in my series. So, so that was one really stressful and prolonged battle. I can't describe it any other way. It was about a two and a half year standoff. And the, you know, the lawyer that I hired at the time said she had never seen such a complicated negotiation in all her years working as a a corporate lawyer, that it was so prolonged and so stressful. And really, you know, publishing is not a get rich quick industry. There, there wasn't a huge amount of money on the line, but it just was more of a uh, you know, an artistic control and personal integrity issue for me, and I just felt like I had to stand firm. Another challenge was mental health. I've been very open about the fact that I live with bipolar disorder, and so sometimes when you're living with a mood disorder, you know, you have the down times. And for me, uh, about a decade ago, I've lost track of exactly when it was, but about a decade ago, Um, I experienced about a three-year-long clinical depression that was really debilitating. I lost my ability to be able to sort of, you know, write regularly or fluently. My brain wasn't working the way that I had wanted it to. And I just, I found it challenging to focus on anything more complicated than a grocery list. So this meant that I got behind in writing some of my books and that added to the stress and you know, it just got to be worse and worse. Add to this the fact that this was around the time of the Great Recession, or whatever we're calling it these days, when the markets crashed and publishing took a particularly brutal hit. And it was just becoming harder and harder to make a living as a writer because pay rates for writers were declining, publishing consolidations were happening, some publications were shuttering their doors entirely. And I think that the positive thing of coming through that experience was realizing that nothing in this career called being a writer is a certainty. There are no guarantees. So thankfully, I had always sort of focused on projects that really mattered to me, and that just ramped up my determination to use my days as a writer and my voice as a writer for things that really matter and work that really matters to me, um, as opposed to trying to heaven forbid, try to chase the almighty dollar in a in an industry where you're probably chasing the almighty penny rather than the dollar. <laughs> and I think the final example I would give you is when I ran into a contract challenge with the Toronto Star. At the time, I had been writing a parenting column that I absolutely loved to write, and the column was extremely well received by readers and people in-house and so on. And then the Toronto Star introduced a new contract. And some of the provisions of that contract I just couldn't live with. Um, a big one was that they would have had the right to reuse my work any way that they saw fit. And I feel a really strong responsibility to the parents and to the families whose stories I tell in my writing. And I just felt like I would have a big problem if, for example, an article I wrote on bereavement was licensed to a third party and perhaps used to market, you know, funeral services or something, because you could have a person's very painful and difficult story being used in ways that were never their intention when they granted the interview to me and so on. So to make a long story short, 
it became obvious to me that we had to part ways. I just couldn't sign the contract. And so it was a really hard decision for me. But thankfully, I, I received a lot of support from my husband, who is, you know, always my biggest supporter. And he just basically said, you know, you're going to be miserable if you do this and you try to sign something that it goes against your beliefs. Um, and reminded me how my personal mantra as a writer has always been, you know, sort of to really respect the stories of the that are entrusted in me where, or to me by parents. And also on the writing front, just not to make things worse for other writers. As somebody who'd had a fair bit of career success, I was in a position to be able to walk away from a bad contract where maybe other writers don't necessarily have that same option. All, coming through all these challenging circumstances, though, it reminded me that a lot of the stuff that happens over the course of a career is stuff that is beyond your control. All you can control is your reaction and the choices you choose to make given your circumstances at the time. And really, if you're going to feel good about your life and your career and your contribution, you have to define success on your own terms, whatever that might mean. Wow, so you've had quite a few contractual battles in your <laughs> I know, and I'm, and I'm really, I'm not a, like a high-conflict person. I'm pretty easygoing and stuff, but I think I'm also a person of, of tremendous principle and an integrity. And if I feel like something just isn't right, I just, I just have to take a hard line, you know. So there you go. Well, good for you. Um, how do you define success for yourself? Oh, I have a couple of criteria. A big one for me is, is the work that I'm doing making a difference for other people? Can I feel good about the way I'm using the skills I was given? Am I acting with integrity and making things better, not worse for, for you know, families and for other writers? Because when I think about some of the times in my life, over the course of my career, when I felt like a tremendous sense of joy and satisfaction, it has been a time when somebody has come up to me and told me how much their life was improved because of something I wrote. So there was this one time in particular, I was at a baby show and I was standing in my booth and this couple came up and they were obviously expecting, so I congratulated them. And then they thanked me for one of my earlier books. They'd read my book, Trying Again, which is a guide to pregnancy after having a miscarriage or a stillbirth or the death of a baby. You know, a really hard book to write and based on stuff that I personally have lived through. So um, they came up to me and they said that they had benefited so much from reading my book, Trying Again, that it had actually given them the courage to try for another baby after their previous baby hadn't lived. And they started crying, and I started crying, and I have to tell you, when I look back on my career, I know that'll be one of the moments that is forever stuck in my head, because I just had that sense that the work I do matters, and it actually does make life easier for people in certain circumstances. And then a second career highlight that, again, underlined what I defined as success is um, when a couple of years ago, the Professional Writers Association of Canada gave me an honorary lifetime achievement award and free membership for life, which is pretty awesome. But what I really liked was the kind stuff that went along with that, that uh, designation. Um, I was... Um, I guess, awarded or recognized because of my advocacy work on behalf of freelance writers, trying to make contracts better, not worse, trying to make conditions in our industry better, not worse. And so it just meant so much 
to be recognized by peers in a really tough and challenging profession that they felt that I had taken a leadership role there and that they appreciated it. Congratulations. That's definitely a worthy uh, award. And also, you should feel so much pride for actually being recognized by your peers, which is great. It's it's an amazing feeling, eh? Yeah. Um, Do you think, how have things changed for women in the last 10 years in your industry, do you think? Sometimes it's hard to get a sense on of that just because in my particular profession, so many of us work in isolation. But what I have noticed is that women are increasingly raising their voices in journalism and pointing out, uh, you know, how disproportionate it is who gets the, the top editorships and who gets the really flashy bylines and you know, all the way through the whole journalism and writing food chain. I mean, it's so male-dominated. And even when in the U.S. they have high-profile discussion panels on the future of journalism or really important industry issues, it seems like people have to be reminded that women exist or else you end up with an all-male panel, which is very you know, very frustrating because it sends a message that, you know, the leaders in this industry are still men. So I love the, uh, you know, the different projects that are about raising and elevating the voices of women. Um, there is a, a group in, in Ottawa, for example, that it's called Informed Opinions, and they are creating a media database of women who are experts in their field and who should more often be cited as sources in stories. So that is one kind of initiative. And then there are other projects that are designed to sort of, you know, encourage better representative, better representation of women on boards of directors and so on. So I think there's a lot of that kind of stuff. I think that the explosion of stories lately about, you know, harassment that is still alive and well I think that tells us there's still a lot of work to do and even just you know on a lower level the idea of tokenism you don't just throw one woman on your board of directors so you can check off a box it should because you have a genuine commitment to the diversity of voices and diversity in every sense of the word so we still have so far to go on that front and Uh, Sometimes I get frustrated because I feel like sometimes the clock is ticking backwards as opposed to forwards and that some of the progress that women have made in my lifetime can be eradicated with a scratch of a pen or an electoral ballot. So I think that, you know, these are really challenging times and times when I think we have to we have to sort of speak up about things that are wrong or else we risk losing further ground. Totally agree. Totally agree. And then it's super difficult if you're the sole female in the room, which is often yes. the case. Yeah. Um, have you felt that you've been, how have you been treated by other women, right? And has it been competitive, supportive, a bit of both? I think it is definitely a bit of both. I have been lucky enough to know a huge number of very supportive women and also to have gone head to head with a few very fierce competitors and I've encountered my fair share of bullies as well. I think what I find the hardest to deal with are the people who are sort of like the faux friends, right? They they pretend to be your friend because they want something for, from you or, you know, they, they stab you in the back. And I am just the world's most clueless person when it comes to office politics. You have to tell me 
that you're stabbing me in the back or I won't pick up <laughs> on it. It's just I just am I'm not a political animal in the least. So sometimes I'm just stunned when somebody points out that something like this has happened. It's like, seriously, I had no idea. Okay, then. So that's not my gift. This is why I will never be running for prime minister. <laughs> Sadly, it's you who should be running for office <laughs> with integrity and principles, which is so missing. Yeah. Um, have you had a mentor or um, a few mentors throughout your career? And how did they influence you? I've actually had quite a series of mentors. Um, usually it ends up being a writer who has, you know, worked in a particular publication or worked in a particular field of publishing that I'm interested in learning about and getting in touch with that person and either having a phone conversation or a lunch or something just to sort of tap into their knowledge of, of whatever it is I'm trying to do next in my career. And one person who really stands out is a children's book author named Sharon Mackay. She writes all kinds of other books too, but she, I think, is best known for her children's books. And when I was first trying to um, break into book publishing, I should say, back when I was completely obsessed with breaking into book publishing, she was so kind and generous with her time answering questions when I just wanted to know, like, you know, am I doing the right thing? How do book proposals work? And, you know, what do I do next? And, you know, what, what does it take to enter the, the magical kingdom of being a published author? And, and she was just a very kind and supportive guide. So I have been lucky indeed. Oh, that's amazing. That's so good to hear because usually um, you don't actually find great stories of mentorship and help along the way, especially when you're starting out. Yeah, I, I was very impressed because I'm sure that 10,000 people were phoning her, but she was kind enough and she told me she's, she felt it was her responsibility to sort of pay forward a lot of the kindness that had been extended to her as well. And I, I try to, you know, do that in my own life. Like, um, Maybe I shouldn't say this in a podcast that like gazillions of people will listen to, but when I'm able to, I will have coffee with anybody and just say, you know, if you have questions, I'm happy to answer them. Or people will say, you know, what would you charge to talk to me for half an hour on the phone or whatever? Like, I mean, I, obviously I can't do it full time, but, you know, just on an ongoing basis, helping people to figure out what they can do career-wise, I just, I, I like Sharon, see that as just paying it forward because other people have been kind to me. Why wouldn't I want to help the next person along? For sure. Um, in your in your career, right, have you found there have been differences when you were working for a man versus a woman, and why do you think those differences exist? I think it depends more on the personality of the person. And I'm really drawn to people who are both, sh like, really straight shooters, like you sort of know exactly where they are, no, no political head game kind of things going on, and who are also really hard workers. I also really like people who are kind and encouraging and inspiring, and people who are visionaries and who are people of integrity who want to make a difference in a positive way. So now you can see why I'm basically hold up in my lonely writer's garret because it is hard to find a, a mere mortal who measures up to all those standards and one thing I have learned about myself over the years is that I do not do well in a workplace if there are arbitrary or unfair rules it just completely destroys me so I am much better you know partnering partnering with people on projects that are of a specific duration with very clear goals and objectives and then, you know, finishing that project and moving on. Like, my idea of 
the job from hell would be like the, you know, the billing clerk job I had when I was in my early 20s and just trying to pay the bills. And it's like every month you have to do the same set of accounting tasks. They just come back every single month. And, you know, I didn't last very long at that job. That was one of my uh, early clues that I would be so much better just doing something I love that's creative and, and that allows for a fair bit of independence. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I can see how it would be very difficult to find that ideal boss. <laughs> you just I don't ask for much, right? Yeah. Well, it's such rarity that I'm not even even a baseline is sometimes hard to find. Yeah. Um, if you could go back and give yourself two key insights, what would they be um, as you were starting out? I think. The first would be um, that you don't have to do everything at once. Pace yourself. Think marathon, not sprint. And that applies to to writing, to parenting, to living. Sometimes I felt like, you know, well, if I don't keep pushing forward and, like, you know, pushing the, the ball up the hill at marathon speed, well, I'm not making forward momentum in my life. What if I had just allowed myself to coast every now and then and had had confidence that if I had talent and ability today chances are that wasn't going to evaporate if I took a week or two off just to relax and stuff I think there was a lot of fear early in my career whereas now sometimes I just say you know what it might be a bad career move for me to turn down this particular opportunity but you know what I really don't want to do this right now so I'm just going to take the chance and trust that other opportunities will come along so that's part of the, the pacing I've learned over the years I think another really big thing that I learned that um, you know, if I tried to tell my 12-year-old self this, her mind would have been completely blown, is the idea that achievement is just a short-lived thing, and that what we achieve can often be as much a matter of luck as it is about talent or hard work. Really, it's being there at the right place at the right time with the right idea and being willing to do all the hard work to, to turn an opportunity into, you know, something exciting. These things feel so important at the time, like you can get on this sort of roller coaster ride or, or treadmill of achievement where you feel like you have to keep going faster and faster and faster, but really at the end of the day as I'm learning in my mid-50s, well not quite mid-50s, but heading into mid-50s, that health and relationships and that sense of having made a difference are what truly matters at the end of the day. So. Would my life have been less stressful if I had figured this out a few decades ago? Absolutely. Perhaps I might not have made as much career momentum, but perhaps I would have stopped and smelled the roses along the way and not been quite so hard on myself. So if there was one piece of advice you could give somebody who was, you know, in a job that they hated and were thinking about writing, what would be the key thing that you would tell them if they wanted to start on a creative process? Right. I would say you don't have to wait for anything in your life to change other than you having half an hour to put your bum in a chair in front of a desk because you become a writer the moment you start writing. So if this is what you're really passionate about, start carving out space in your life to pursue that dream because if you're meant to be a writer, you will become a writer because that dream will stalk you 24-7. You'll wake up at 3 a.m. with ideas in your head and you'll just feel itchy and restless unless you're doing that kind of work so I would say to really honor that and to to make writing not be something where you feel like it's 
something that you measure by other people's standards because so much about publishing is the luck of the draw, right idea, right place, right time, all those things. And sometimes you can have the most brilliant piece of work that's about to be published by somebody only for that publishing house or magazine to, you know, shuttering its doors. So I think just really honor the, the work in terms of um, sort of building the skill and seeing the, the opportunity to have your words come out in the world one way or another. So I guess really just honor that and create space for that in your life starting right now. Excellent. Thank you so much, Anne, for your time and those insights. I think anybody who's considering becoming a writer, you know, should, as you said, just get going, right? Just putting yes. it into paper. And uh, probably uh, we don't have a ton of listeners right now but you may get some calls of people wanting <laughs> coffee <laughs> and you know what the great thing about today is now you can do that even online we could each sit in front of our our screen and like have a google hangout with hot beverages yes <laughs> but i wouldn't be surprised if there are people that reach out and i would love to hear from you that they did because it basically means more people are listening than we think I will definitely let you know, Diane, and I so appreciate this opportunity to talk to you, as always. It's been my pleasure, Anne, as always. Key takeaways from my chat with Anne. One is she offered to have coffee with almost anybody, which is amazing. The second was health and relationships are what's really important, so take care of yourself and cultivate the relationships that mean the most to you. The third was things are really beyond your control. You know, there's a lot of luck and opportunity that puts you at the right time, right place with the right topic. But for those of you with a creative outlet, just to get started, the last thing I want to mention is that Anne also has undergone a couple of amazing transformations. She recently lost quite a lot of weight in the last few years, hence her hour-long walk. And she's been able to manage her bipolar disorder through exercise. So an incredible inspiration. She also mentioned the Informed Opinions, which is informedopinions.org, an organization that tries to amplify women experts. For those of you that are experts, please register and sign up. For those of you that are in the media, please use Informed Opinions to seek out women experts when quoting or using them in some of your news articles. So once again, thanks for listening to our very first episode. I would love your feedback on the episode. We will also post links to Anne's website and blog and to be able to purchase her book, plus any details on how to get a hold of her and a link to informed opinions. So thanks, folks, once again. Cheers. Cheers.